have two texts that I kind of want to put side by side a little bit today, and one of them is from Exodus. This is from Exodus 33.15, and it goes like this. This is uh, just after the golden calf incident, and this is God talking to Moses and Moses responding. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest where everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Think about that for a second. If you're not going, don't make us go. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence amongst us sets your people apart and me apart from all the other peoples of the earth. And then the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed go with you, do what you have asked, for I look favorably upon you, and I know you by name. Now this is, we often don't think of the Old Testament as one of these spots where there's this huge emphasis on the personal contact between God and his people. And the reason we don't think that way is because we, we're, from a, we're from a post-Jesus world where Jesus came and was amongst his people and he lived here and touched us. And, there was, and as John says in his gospel, we, we touched him and we heard him and we saw him and therefore we know what God is like. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that Exodus 33 is a little bit before Jesus came. Just a little bit. Maybe, maybe about seven or eight, maybe nine centuries. And I just want you to hear this again. And I'm just going to gloss this. God, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. That is the hope of a people of God, I would say. That wherever we go, God would be with us. Now, sometimes we struggle with our language to saying, God, you know, when we're in a meeting and we say something like, help us do your work, God, or be in the work we do. All of it means, Lord, guide us. Be with us. Make yourself known in the process. But God uses a pattern to sort of teach us this stuff. And, and I want to talk to you just a little bit about this experience because the first time Moses came down the mountain, do you remember what the people said to him? His face was shining. He was shining with the presence of God. And do you remember what they said? That's scary. Cover your face. You talk to God. We don't want to do that. You do that, but, but don't shine on us like that. That's scary. That's outside of our pattern, right? And God uses patterns to communicate with people. So most of their life was kind of normal. I want you to, let me, let me back up just a second. We use patterns all through our lives for several things, don't we? Do you use patterns, your pattern of your life to comfort yourself? Like Sheldon on Big Bang Theory has his space on the couch. That's my spot. That's his pattern. He comforts himself. He has a schedule. Tuesday is pizza night or whatever. And so patterns give us a sense of normalcy in our life, and we get used to them. 
But did you know that you can accept some change if there's a sense of normalcy in the rest of your life? That if things are going about the way they normally do and something changes, you can handle that. But if it's all change and there's nothing normal, that's catastrophe. Most people aren't ready for that sort of thing in their life. And, and, and you know, it's like being on an airplane and having it drop 500 feet, right? The world is out from under you at that moment. But it's a pattern of life that does that. Now, sometimes our human patterns aren't really good for us. And I need to talk to you just a little bit about this. This is the disclaimer on the hammer. Don't, don't use faith this way. Use it another way, right? That when you get a hammer, it has this little disclaimer on it says, use only with gloves and eyeglasses, you know, eye protection or something like that. Ted had one on a saw that said, do not attempt to change the blade on the power saw while it's in motion. <laughs> Evidently, somebody's tried to do that. Ted, Ted's example in the first service was somebody probably sued the company because they lost their fingers trying to do that. And the judge said, you have to put that on the side of the saw. Don't, don't put this on while the saw's in motion. I had a, a sculpture prof in, the, in art school that used to say, and we were working with line breaks and sheet metal and casting and uh, melting and creating our own alloys and things like that. And he said, God gave you an imagination to imagine the way you would lose your fingers and then not do that. <laughs> but, but the table saw thing comes into play there. But um, sometimes we use patterns of our faith to do this, and we just, we just go through life, and our patterns create problems for us. Um, to talk about this, I need to talk about um, what sin does in our life just a little bit. That if sin, sin, I know sin is a buzzword for, for the radical right believers and all that stuff like this, but sin does something always. It always breaks relationships. And I know you've heard me say that before, but it always breaks relationships. When, when I choose selfishness, if I'm a little kid and I steal a candy bar from a store, I've chose selfishness over the relationship with the store owner. That's, that's a very small thing. Sometimes when we talk about somebody, like we have a friend and, and we're just sharing some details with somebody else so they can get to know them, we break the relationship a little bit by gossiping. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? We share something that's kind of hurtful or we degrade them. And, then, and if we do it enough times, pretty soon we have a catastrophic break in the relationship. When this way, righteousness or God's righteousness can be understood as right-relatedness, that he always does what's right for the relationship, not ever breaking it. And so when we take God's righteousness upon us, when his presence is amongst us, when he goes personally with us, then we stop, start taking relationships very seriously. But our patterns of life, sometimes we don't honor people very well or we break the relationships. But God comes into our patterns and starts adjusting us a little bit because we need our normal, at least a little bit. The old joke goes like this. How many, how many, uh, let's, let's use United Methodist because I don't want to poke any fun at any other 
denomination. How many United Methodists does it take to change a light bulb? My dad used to say, change? (laughs) You can't change light bulbs. That one's been there. My daddy put that one in. Yeah, that's why it needs change. But how do we get to be a people that gets to a spot where we say to each other and to God, if you won't go with us, don't, we don't want to go. If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Well, we do that a little bit with the Moses story. He comes down the mountain, and it's completely outside of their experience, isn't it? That, that his face shines like the sun, and they go, ah, don't do that. That's scary. But then it happens again, and they have a way to understand it. The, their experience, the pattern has begun, and God kind of uses this pattern of introduction where he shows something, and what's scary once becomes more commonplace. Later on, there are three or four in the camp that are prophesying that God's spirit has come upon them, and that's the sign that they're the leaders in the camp in the Exodus. It becomes even more common later on, Saul, King Saul. How many of you know anything about King Saul in the Bible? Just do this. Do you know anything? If I were just to say he was a flawed individual, would that, would that pretty much cover it? Did you know that the Holy Spirit in one episode came upon him and he was laying in the sun prophesying and they said, the Spirit of God has even come upon Saul. Is he one of the prophets? See, they understood it by then. The pattern had been set that every so often, God's spirit would come down upon somebody that was one of God's people, and that would be a sign of God's leadership or or something on their life. And the pattern had been set that when that happens, you go, that's God's spirit. But initially, they were scared to death of it right? They were scared. Don't do that. Cover your face. But later on, they're going, ah, we understand what that is. And it's because God had shown them a pattern and had become doing this. And then at sometimes he came upon multiple people and it became a hope. It became a central hope that as God was forming his people, I'm going to Joel chapter two, to read just this thing. This, this is a prophecy about what's coming. Just so you know, the pattern, the beginning of the pattern was changing and people getting used to it. This is what's going to happen. And so he, God introduces it with, there's a terrible time. And then he calls the people to repentance and then he makes this promise. Then after doing all these things, after blessing the people, I will pour my spirit upon all people not just one or two, and not just sporadically, but I will pour my spirit out upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And those days I will pour my spirit out on all my servants, the men and women alike. That God was taking a pattern. He was introducing something new and getting them kind of used to the idea the concept, and then he's saying, this is how I'm going to form my people. Now, one of the three major themes of the entire of this whole book, right? By the way, my electronic one is 
didn't get plugged in, so I had to go back to my non-electronic version. In the first service, somebody read from it, read from an electronic when I was wishing that I had charged mine. But the, the three major themes of this book are the lordship of God, the formation of a people for him, and a hope and a future for those people. Somewhere in this book, those three themes, every time you're in a verse, one of those three themes is in play. That God is Lord, that he's forming a people, and that there's a hope and a future for that people. Now, you can test me on that as you're reading through, going, what were those four, three themes or something like that? And you can test me on that. They're always in play. This is not a hope and and hope for the future of his people, but this is a formation text. This is how we begin to know who are God's people, that the Spirit of God comes upon them. And so I set this next to the Moses text on purpose. If you won't go with us personally, God, don't make us leave this place because that's how people will know we're yours. Now, this is kind of freaky, isn't it? That the Spirit of God would be upon, upon us and change us and, and make us his people. But it's also our hope, isn't it? Have you ever lived your life and just not really ever been able to do what you wanted to do and you just couldn't quite get there and you just wished you were better? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a little story. I did this in the first one in a different way, but I need to tell you how I came to Christ. Just a little bit so that you can understand what it means to want to be better or to know that you're not enough. And I'm not going to point at anybody else. I'll just do it to me. I've not told you this story. I don't even think Marjean knows this, and she, she's done this. But uh, I graduated from, from art school as... Um, an atheist, and I've said that, and then God started speaking to me, and he did a lot of that speaking to this nice young woman right over here named Karen. She, she had the art of asking a couple of questions like, do you mind if I pray for you? And I would say, well, if you think that works, you go right ahead. Or she would say something along the lines of, you know, I'm playing trumpet in church today, and I just need a friendly face. Do you think you could come just be a friendly face? And I could do that. Or the one that I think was really a setup. I'm leading Bible study tonight, and I'm a little worried nobody will come. Will you come sit in a chair? Now, we were best friends pretty much about this time, or friends at least becoming good friends, dating other people. She would not have told me this, but she would never have dated a non-Christian because of her past and her understanding of, you know, you fall in love with somebody and there you have it. There you are with them. That's an accurate representation of that thought, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, okay. But I was painting in my studio using lacquer. Now, all of you understand what it means to be an artist, and you understand that if I talk about abstract expressionism and mosaic mixed together in optical mixing, that makes perfect sense to you, doesn't it? Oh. <laughs> but don't explain it. Well, I can do it fairly simple. Mosaic's goal is to make a picture out of dots 
that when you get far enough away, they come into focus, right? Optical mixing says those dots form a third color. Two dots next to each other form another color in your eyes because of their proximity. An abstract expression means there's nothing that you recognize within the, the painting. How about that? You got it all. <laughs> See? So some of you have seen my odd paintings that are in the office, in my office, and that's what we're talking about. And I was painting those, and, and uh, early days that was lacquer on board with an airbrush. And I had been removed for one reason or another, usually fumes, from every place that I had rented to paint. And I was painting in a storage unit because that's what I could afford and they wouldn't boot me because I smelled bad, <laughs> because of the lacquer. And, and I started to see in this process of God starting to talk to me and becoming friends and recognizing the light that was different in somebody else, right? This is almost the Moses text. Because of your presence, this is how people know that we're your people. Now, how do you recognize God's presence? How do you recognize God's presence in somebody else's life? Can you, can you name one characteristic that says it? You, Phil was trying to say something over here. Love. Okay, but what does love look like? I mean, what does it do? Is there one specific action love does? No, so what happens is, is you feel loved, you experience the presence of God in somebody else, and you don't really know what it is. It's sort of like Moses coming down the mountain the first time going, that is really strange, but I like it. That's what the Spirit of God is like to a non-believer. And I was a non-believer. Now, I was painting in there, and I was starting to go to church, and and starting to ask questions, and I was painting, and I started to see in my paintings skills that I don't possess. Now ask yourself, what is convincing proof to you that you, that God loves you? What is convincing proof? Because it's going to be different for you than it was for me. And God knows exactly what it is. And when he shows you convincing proof, did you recognize it and go, that's proof that God loves me? Now, what I began to see is this. I began to literally see skills that I didn't possess. And you know what God was telling me? This is what I heard literally in my head. I can't even do what I'm good at without him. I need him. And that was convincing proof that I needed a Savior, that I needed His presence and all that. And, and how do you quantify that? Do you look into your own life and see a moment along there that you didn't understand and it started to become commonplace and then pretty soon it was a pattern and you had to have it? That's the tale of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I'm going to say it this way, that as he breathes life into me and I become a new person, and that, that, the, that the Hebrew word, ruach, that's the spirit of God, the breath of God. It's also the same word for wind, 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 blow on me. The breath of God, the spirit, the ruach, he 
kind of need a hairball in your throat to pronounce it right, as with half the Hebrew words. That the reason that word is so different, I mean, Hebrew is a vocabulary poor language, and so it uses words for different things. But in this case, the breath of God breathes the spirit of him into our bodies, and we become different, and we are as unexplainable as the wind to other people. And Ruach really takes hold of what it is. And so you want to become a person that God uses these patterns in our lives. Now, sometimes he uses these patterns in our lives that, that, that we do icky things, and we get used to doing icky things. That's a technical term, icky. That means I don't have to point anybody out or stigmatize a particular sin. That's a problem in our world right now. That sin's really bad, but this one over here, it's okay. Have you ever met somebody that does that? Because that I have. But, but we get in this pattern, and then God, who didn't create the damage that we're sitting in as we have this pattern of doing ick, and we got some on us. He didn't cause the problem. He didn't make us fall in the hole. But sometimes people go, well, he made that thing. He, he made the bad thing happen to me. Well, you know, you walked in a pattern long enough and pretty soon you had a problem. Don't blame him for that. But he has this ability that if we'll recognize this breath of God, this spirit, his love, his power in us, and he takes that icky spot and turns it into a drive for us to come and seek his presence. We need help. That's what the Spirit of God is doing in us. And then once we come, it begins to give us a pattern of growth in our lives and, and normalcy so that, that every so often when he changes us and he, and he continues to convert us throughout our whole lives, is that your experience in life, that, that you're a different believer than you were five years ago or 10 years ago or if you've been a believer 50 years? Now, now I'm talking to these gentlemen right here. So... So if I, I got Jim's rapt attention, I'll just use Jim here. Are you the same guy you were in Christ the second you believed in him? No. Why? Because he's got a different attitude, and God worked long-term to make that attitude, didn't he? Yeah. It's called conversion, continual, or if we use the $5 word, sanctification. But it's the Spirit of God at work in us long-term. If you won't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. We're your people, God. And isn't it cool that he continues to work on us and set a pattern on us? And as he converts us, you know, he's got some stuff that I do that I feel pretty comfortable with. And then he says, yeah, you're pretty comfortable there. Here, do this one thing you're not comfortable with. <laughs> and, and you're not comfortable, and you squirm in your seat, and you're uncomfortable, and you do it. But the next time you do it, it's better. And I can experience this. You, you know I've done street witnessing. I've said that. The first time, before I get to the first time, how many of you think that, as you know me, that I've ever been afraid of people? 
Do I seem like the person that was ever afraid of people? My mom said when I was growing up that it didn't that there was never a person I didn't know. I just hadn't met them yet. And it was just, I was this way from a kid. And I've never been afraid of people. The first time I went street witnessing, I went with a guy. He's a young man. He's 6'1". And I hid behind him. <laughs> Let's talk about discomfort. I was scared. The second time I went and I managed to stand beside him. And I even spoke a little. I'm not sure it was English. <laughs> not sure it was complete sentences. But later on, what happened right about that same time is I started writing a column for the newspaper. And, and I, we would go on Saturday nights and that column would be published. And if it was that week, I ended up sitting in a spot with a r- line of people talk, trying to ask me questions about the article in the newspaper. And the other witnesses were going around and now I was alone standing on my own. God had used that discomfort and then it was starting to be normal. And you can talk about faith. And you can be a person of faith. In those days, I will pour my spirit upon all my people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour my spirit out on all my servants, men and women alike. Those are these days. Will you say something with me if I say this? If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Would you, are you willing to say that? If, we don't, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Now that seems sort of like a stick in the mud phrase, doesn't it? I don't want to go anywhere without you. No. It means that we want to be guided by his spirit everywhere we go. And the only way that can happen literally is if he pours his spirit out on everybody and he's in us, changing us and working within us the whole of our lives. And then you end up in a different spot 50 years later than you ever thought you could be. And it's literally this. God forming a people for himself so that they will be his and he will be theirs. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love. I thank you that as you breathe life into me and sometimes I'm unexplainably different from other people, that that's part of your plan move in us and cause us to develop an attitude that wherever you go, we want to be. In your precious name, amen.